0: So, Jesus, be our vision and guide us through your word to be more like you. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, hello, 945. Good to see you all here. So, Mariners, three games over 500. Just got to, just saying, right? Got to celebrate these things while you can because they may disappear as of this afternoon. But uh, one of the great things about Jesus is that he is not so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. Not so up there that he doesn't make a difference down here. However, to a lot of people, they don't understand that. For a lot of folks, including church folks, Jesus is kind of irrelevant. He's for spiritual, going-to-heaven stuff, but he's not for down-to-earth, real-life, practical stuff. It's sort of like a story I heard about a brand new lieutenant who wanted to impress a private that was coming into his office. So the lieutenant picked up the phone on his desk and pretended to be talking to a general and ended by saying, yes, sir, you can count on me, and then hung up and then asked the private, what do you want? And the private said, I'm here to connect that phone. (laughs) For a lot of people, Jesus is as irrelevant to their life as that story is to this sermon. It actually has nothing to do with this sermon. I just kind of wanted to tell it. But the real Jesus, the real Jesus is very relevant and brings healing and wholeness to the street-level things that you and I deal with every single day, like like an upcoming test you're worried about if you're a student, or am I cool or not, which I still worry about, Uh, or uncertainty around careers or issues in marriage, parenting, friendship, health, finances, retirement. Jesus is relevant to all of that as well as to healing our culture. We've been doing uh, some sermons on how we could be one of those churches that could launch a movement to heal our culture, because there's a lot that needs healing, right? I mean, racial tensions, uh, uh, poverty, breakdown of marriage, family, all kinds of stuff. And we've said that history gives us reasons to hope, because historically there have been Christian movements that have transformed entire continents for the better, first during the Roman Empire then again after the fall of Rome, and currently now in China, Latin America, and Africa. And these movements start when, not through laws or anything like that, but when Christians started to do things like care for the poor and reconcile races and show courage in the face of persecution. In other words, real-life stuff, like down-to-earth stuff. And their sacrificial living attracted more and more people, and gradually the culture healed, things like slavery and, 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 and human sacrifice disappeared, not through legislation, but just naturally as people began to live the Jesus way of life. <clears throat> and those movements started because those Christians were relentlessly focused on real life stuff, like poverty and things like that. Not obscure theological debates, not religious ritual, but street level stuff that happens at 2 p.m. on a Thursday afternoon, like that bad performance review you got or the C-minus on that paper, or that coworker who just took credit for your great idea, or the fight you had with your spouse, and on and on and on. And you see that in the story that Annie just read. Jesus is at a wedding, a real-life issue, right? A marriage, down-to-earth issue. And they run out of wine, so Jesus turns water into wine, which shows that Jesus cares about even the smallest things. Even the smallest things. In fact, that's what's kind of scandalous about this story kind of odd, like if you were making this up, you would not make it so that Jesus' first miracle, the place he first used his divine power, is to fix a catering issue, (laughs) right? Like like, this is the first sign that announces what he's all about. You'd think he'd raise someone from the dead or part an ocean, but instead he just makes some more wine, which shows a couple of ways that Jesus is relevant to us right here, right now in our real life. And the first is he brings here and now joy. Not just when we go to heaven joy, not just then and there joy, but right here, right now joy. See, back then, weddings were even a bigger deal than they are today. They could last up to seven days. And hospitality was a very high value. So to run out of wine is like super embarrassing. So Jesus does this miracle to prevent a family from being embarrassed, but also to bring joy. The text says, on the third day, that just means Jesus had been traveling for three days, but also alludes to his resurrection on the third day. A wedding took place. All right, let's just stop right there. Jesus is probably at this wedding because he knew the couple, but it goes on to say that his disciples are with him. So kind of imagine Jesus filling out the RSVP card, right? Like, <laughs> me plus 12 more. All right, like, nobody wants to see that if you're planning a wedding, right? Like, in fact, it might be why they ran out of wine. His disciples maybe drank it all. Pretty sure Thaddeus did it. But even that, but just that Jesus is at this wedding is kind of scandalous. Like, who is this couple? Are they a religious couple? Are they, you know, are they holy? I mean, for a religious leader, this is already kind of maybe on the line to be at this wedding. But not only does Jesus go, he makes wine. And not just a little bit of wine, he makes 180 gallons of wine. That's a lot of wine. Especially since everyone is kind of already feeling no pain. The master of the banquet says everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. In other words, folks are already kind of tipsy. Sometimes you'll hear preachers say, oh, it wasn't really wine, it was grape juice. Oh, please. Like, seriously, why would the host say that? Speaker Tony Campolo tells a story of a very conservative man in his church, and, and Tony when Tony pointed out to this man that Jesus turned water into wine, this man said, yes, I know, and it has been an embarrassment to me ever since. Like That's Christians, right? Jesus turns water into wine, and ever since we've been trying to turn it back into water again. Now, to be crystal clear, the Bible repeatedly condemns drunkenness and addiction because those things are destructive. That's not the point here. The point is that in this culture, wine represented joy. In fact, the rabbis had a saying, no wine, no joy. Some of you are like, that's the best thing I'm going to get out of this sermon, man. That's like, I'm going to write that down, I'm going to put it on my refrigerator, no wine, no joy. So here Jesus is bringing joy into a real life situation. The Greek word for the host in this story means Lord of the Feast. And the point is that yes, there is a cost to following Jesus, which we talked about last week, but ultimately where Jesus is driving the whole thing, Jesus is saying, I am the Lord of the Feast and I bring festival joy. Second point, in ordinary events through ordinary means. Verse 3 says, when the wine was gone. I love that. Not but the wine was gone, when. Because that's what happens, right? In career, in spiritual life, in marriage, in friendships, the wine sometimes runs out. But look how Jesus fixes it. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for ceremonial washing. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And then he told them, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Ordinary water, ordinary clay pots, ordinary wedding. They happen every day. Jesus uses what is at hand, our jobs, our friendships, our hobbies, to do his spiritual work. The theological word for this is incarnation. The word became flesh. That, Jesus didn't give us a philosophy or a theology. He didn't preach a sermon at us. He came in the flesh to give us an experience, a here and now, not an up there, but a here and now, real life experience. That's why you get all the sensory language in the Bible. You know, verses like, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. A few months ago, I was serving communion here at our, at our six o'clock service, and a kid came through the, my communion line, about a six year old kid, and when, I, he, when he put the bread in his mouth, his eyes lit up and he went, mmm. Like, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Like that kid has really great theology. Right? J- Jesus gives us a tangible, tasteable, feelable experience. Not information, transformation. Not theology, but in the body experience. Jesus himself inhabited a material body. In heaven, we will not be souls. That's Greek, that's Plato, that's Aristotle. We will have a physical body that never suffers or dies again. See, with Jesus, matter matters. Which means there is no sacred secular divide. That's just nonsense. Our jobs, marriages, relationships matter. Sex matters. Art, school, sports, hobbies, it all matters. We are those ordinary pots, that ordinary water. Jesus takes the ordinary stuff of life and turns it into extraordinary wine. You know, the early Christians brought Jesus into everything, They had prayers they prayed over everything, prayers they prayed while they were cooking or making the bed or weaving or fishing. We could do that. So if you're a student about to take that test, pray something like this, Jesus, you are the Lord of all knowledge, and I bless this test in your name. Be with me in it. Or you're in a meeting at work. Jesus, what are you trying to do here and now? Help me to see it. Or a fight with your spouse. Whatever, you bring Jesus into it and ask, what are you doing like this, is, this is for us in our personal lives, because when Jesus steps in, he can transform things. But it is also for the healing of our culture, because you know what folks out there wonder? They wonder if Jesus makes any practical difference at all. Like, what, does Jesus make any practical difference to the things of life, marriage, family, let alone injustice and poverty and racism? Does Jesus make any difference or not? And we, as followers, are called to show that Jesus brings real-world transformation, a couple I know who were having struggles in their marriage were washing their car one day. the husband accidentally sprayed the wife with the hose, and that really annoyed her, so she sprayed him back with, with her hose. And, but pretty soon it turned kind of fun. and they were spraying each other back and forth, laughing and joking. It was, it was kind of fun. And then she just kind of stopped all of a sudden, and she said, "There you are. Are you my husband?" And he said, "Are you my wife?" It didn't fix all the problems, but it was a moment where Jesus brought just a little bit of healing through the ordinary event of washing a car. Now, you might say, well, that wasn't Jesus. That just happened. Are you sure? In this story, water into wine, who in this story knows that a miracle has happened? Not the host, not the couple, not the guests, maybe Mary, maybe the servants. To everyone else, it just seemed like there was more wine. How many miracles does Jesus do in our lives that we don't even notice because he does them so ordinarily? Jesus brings here and now joy in everyday, ordinary events, and then the last point, in his own way and in his own time. Which doesn't isn't always how we would do it, right? Verse 3 says this: Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Notice she, she doesn't tell him what to do about it, she just gives him the problem. Is this how you pray? Because it is not a lot of times how I pray. I usually offer up a couple suggestions about how God ought to deal with the problem. (laughs) Well, if I were you, God, (laughs) and I think I am, right? But one of the things I've learned to pray is, Lord, here's the situation. What do you want to do with it? Show me so I can be part of it. See, if we pray for our solutions, we're just going to get our solutions. We're deciding what's best rather than let God decide what's best. And he probably knows better, don't you think? So pray your problems, not your solutions. Pray your problems, not your solutions, which is what Mary does here. She brings in the problem, and then Jesus says this, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Seems kind of abrupt, right? Like That'd be like if my wife asked our son to take out the garbage, and he said, Woman, my hour has not yet come. (laughs) Right? Like my wife would be, Oh, I'm so going to make it come if you don't... (laughs) Now, it's possible maybe probable that in this culture woman was a was an affection term of affection and jesus is probably here alluding to the cross that's probably what this means because see at this point jesus was 30 and single now what happens today if you are 30 and single and you go to a wedding? Right? You might start to think about your own wedding someday, but probably also people start to ask you about it, right? I, I heard about one guy who whenever he'd go to a, a family member's wedding, his great aunt would sit next to him and poke him in the ribs and say, you're next, you're next. So the next time he was at a funeral, he poked her and said, you're next, you're next. <laughs> I kinda, I'm sure she took it in stride. See, Jesus has a wedding day. Jesus has a wedding day. The church, we are collectively called the bride of Christ. It's an image of ultimate closeness. So Jesus here may be referring to his eventual wedding, but in order for us to be that close to him, he first has to die on the cross to pay for our sins, and he's not ready to do that yet. That's what he means, my hour hasn't come. So he says this cryptic thing, and then verse 5 says, his mother then said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And then Jesus tells the servants to fill the jars with water. So let's recap, okay? First, Jesus says something abrupt. Then he says something totally cryptic. And then he tells people to do a task that has nothing to do with the request. And that is the life of faith. Right? That's the Christian life. What uh, what are you doing, God? But Mary's words are a model for us. Do whatever he tells you. What a great statement of faith. Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. You're not doing what I would do. If I were you, I'd do it different. I'd do it a different way, a different timing, right? But she trusts that whatever he decides will be the best. His solutions may be very different than ours. They may take longer, but they are always good. My last year doing college ministry on the Stanford campus, our group was denied a consistent room to meet in, which meant students couldn't find us, which meant students stopped coming. And the group that I had worked five years to grow, from 20 students to over 200 students, I had to watch it shrink back down to about 50 students in a matter of weeks. It was painful, all, that, all those years down the, down the drain. It, just, I felt like, it felt like career failure. And I prayed and prayed and prayed about this, but nothing. <clears throat> well, in the middle of this, I had a conversation with a student who told me about his recent vacation with his family. They went on a Caribbean cruise. How nice for them. And he said that his 13-year-old sister wanted to see a dolphin on this cruise. So every night, the family would pray, Lord Hillary wants to see a dolphin. They didn't say, Lord, show us a dolphin, just God, here's here's the situation. But no dolphin for the entire cruise. Until the very last afternoon, a dolphin showed up by the side of the ship, and it didn't just show up. It started doing flips and twirls and jumps and all these tricks for like 20 minutes. They got the whole thing on video. And then the next day when they got into port, they heard on the news that a dolphin had escaped from a marine park and headed out to sea. (laughs) So that was apparently the dolphin that they saw. And the student tells me this story, and he goes, isn't God great? And I had this little mental temper tantrum. I thought, so let me get this straight. Like, I can't get a room to build the ministry, but poor little rich girl gets her dolphin. (laughs) But I couldn't say that, that's depressing to the students, so I just smiled and said, praise Jesus. (laughs) Or something like that, right? Well, about a week later, as I was praying about this, I got a thought that I knew was from God, and it said, if I want to give a little girl a dolphin to build her faith in me, what's that to you, Scott? And if for reasons you don't yet understand, you need to watch this ministry dwindle down to nothing, Because I'm doing something in and through you that you don't yet understand. Do you trust me?" And I kind of realized that in the scheme of things, neither the room nor the dolphin were actually really earth-shattering. And if God was teaching me to love him more than my reputation as an awesome pastor, couldn't I trust him in that? Knowing that he loved me just as much as he loved that 13-year-old girl, even though she was the more mature of the two of us. (laughs) And I felt peace. And that was the first time I learned to pray, Lord, What are you doing here? Show me so I can be part of it. Which was a very important discipline to learn a year before I came here. And then, after 10 weeks, we got a room, and the ministry went back up to over 200 students again, as if God was saying, and see, I can do that too. You just try to box me into your theology, Dudley, I will break out of it every single time. He met my real life, real world, practical issue, not in the way I wanted it, a different way, Kind of confusing at first, but it was good wine in the end. Now, that took 10 weeks. Sometimes it takes 10 years. And I've told you some of those stories as well. And even when the worst happens, death of a loved one, terminal illness, as so many of you have experienced, Jesus becomes even more real. He brings supernatural joy, and he brings something good out of it. Jesus changes our personal real-world issues, but also he wants to heal the real-world issues out there through us. And that's why in this church we have things like Cascade Fellows, a one-year program that, to help us figure out how to bring God into our workplace beyond just having a Bible on our desk. How do I really handle that coworker? How do I really handle this thing going on at work that I'm not quite sure how Christians should react to? How do I bring Jesus here? We've got groups for younger and older people. You can find out more on the website or at Get Connected. Real-life stuff, practical stuff. <coughs> it's why we have marriage mentoring, so people's marriages can heal. Real-life stuff. It's why we have Baby Basics to provide diapers and other essentials for moms who can't afford it. Real world issues. Because when folks see that Jesus heals real world stuff, they are going to want to follow him. But I don't want you to just hear that from me because I'm just the pastor. So I want you to hear it from a, a, a real person. So I'm gonna—I want to introduce you to someone. Nikki. Nikki is a high school student in our high school ministry here, and she's got a great story about how Jesus heals real life stuff. So Nikki, this is Bell Press. Bell Press, meet Nikki.
1: Hello. Um, I'm Nikki. I'm a high school student. Um, I go to East Lake in Sammamish. And I'm just going to share a little bit about my background because it's pretty important to my story. So, um, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Both my parents went to church, but um, they did not raise me going to church at all. And um, when I was um, just about to go into my freshman year of high school, my parents sat me down and said that they were going to get a divorce. And um, that was really difficult for me, and I struggled a lot with that. Um, But we worked through it, and we we got together and um, supported each other. And then about two years after that, my mom, um, her boyfriend who she'd been dating for about a year or so, um, he lived in North Carolina and she said that he was gonna be moving in with us. And so I didn't know him at all and that was really difficult for me and um, I struggled for a couple years with feeling um, loved and accepted and um, it was really difficult for me. But I had a lot of really great support um, through friends and um, One of my friends, Lucy, who she's playing keys today, she's pretty cool. Um, She invited me to come here for the Immersed Prayer Conference two years ago. And I was really skeptical because I was like, I don't know, I I don't really know this whole God thing. I don't know about that. But um, I agreed to go anyway and that was a really great decision for me. Um, We went to the breakout session that was led by the Martinson family. And if you don't know them, become friends with them because they're incredible people, um, but they um, led this breakout session that was about soaking prayer and kind of a listening prayer station, and um, I remember looking around and seeing everyone, they were praying, and they looked like they knew what they were doing, and I was just kind of sitting there like, I don't I don't know what's going on, but I'm just going to sit through it and hope something happens, and um, sure enough, Caden Martinson, who was in seventh grade at the time, he walked over to me, and I had no idea who he was, and he just sat down um, next to me and handed me this little note, and I read it, and it just said, you are loved. And I remember in that moment, it was like a turning point for me, and I felt so, this huge overwhelming sense of being loved right in that moment, which was something I had been struggling with for years now, and so um, I remember thinking like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever, and so I started coming back every week, and um, I had a lot of really incredible opportunities to get involved, like um, going to youth group on Wednesdays, and becoming um, a part of the worship team here and student leadership, which has given me some incredible opportunities. Like um, this year's immersed Conference, we got to, um, as high schoolers, lead a breakout session about passion. And that was really cool because we were able to meet people and learn about our passions and help others learn about theirs. Um, and then another thing we got to do was this um, session kind of thing where we got to set up prayer stations in our high school's um, youth group room, which is in 303. That was really cool because um, each high schooler got a little shift that they could sit in there and pray for people and go through the stations themselves. And um, I really personally loved that and connected a lot with that. And um, I remember when I was on shift, this woman walked in and she was kind of frantic and she was um, went up to my leader and asked if a high schooler could pray for her. So I was the only high schooler in the room, and so she introduced me, and I was really nervous because I had never prayed for anyone before. I was like, oh, I really hope I don't mess up. I don't know what to do, and, um, but I knew I was going to get through it, and it would be fine, and um, so I just asked her about her life and what was going on and what she wanted me to pray about, and she said, um, immediately when she started talking, my heart was like in a puddle because she um, said that her, she divorced her husband and it was really hard on her son and um, about a year and a half later, she remarried um, and that was what was really hard on her son and he ended up pushing her out of his life a little bit and their relationship kind of disintegrated and I was bawling by this point because I looked at her and I was like, you're telling me my life story from the mother's perspective and um, it was a really special moment for both of us, and then she immediately started crying, and we were able to give each other insight on um, our experiences from the other perspective, and it was an incredible moment because not only did we connect, but God was there the whole time, and um, had I not been in that room, like, something totally different would have happened for both of us, but um, it was a really incredible experience, and um, I was able to pray for her, and then she prayed for me, and then... um, it was super special and immediately afterwards I walked outside and I picked up my phone and I called my mom and I was like hi mom and she was like what's wrong what's wrong you only call me when something's wrong but it's like no mom nothing's wrong I'm just saying hi um, just want to say I love you and um, it was really special and a turning point for both of us because um, since then our relationship has grown so much and Um, We're still working through stuff, but it's so much better, and I I know it's because of that moment and because God worked through my story for that, and so I'm very thankful for Bell Press for that, and I'm so thankful for that um, moment and for God through all of that, so thank you.
0: Thank you. Awesome. We are so blessed to have youth who can lead us, I think. It's just such a... a So thank you, Nikki. This is a great example of what I've been talking about. Nikki gave a problem to Jesus. He met a real-world issue in a way that she probably wouldn't have anticipated or expected, and then through her, met someone else's real-world issue. And the result was ordinary water became extraordinary wine. So what real-world issue are you facing? Pray Mary's prayer in this story. Lord, here's the problem. What do you want to do with it? Show me so I can be part of it. And then what real world issue does Jesus want to address through you in your school, neighborhood, or workplace? And if you don't know what that is, ask him, what do you want me to be part of healing, Jesus? Because when folks see that Jesus isn't just for up there, but for up there, coming down here, and one by one, as people live into the Jesus way of life, we heal and our culture heals through us. Water into wine ordinary into extraordinary, 180 gallons worth of joy. And that's how you start a movement. So Jesus, we ask that you would make us those people that you, we, give you our, we give you our issue. And we say, what do you want to do with it? Show us. And then, Lord, show us the issue you want to heal through us. For the making new of all things, help us be people who start a movement to heal our culture in your name. We pray this, Jesus, in your name man nah.